Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States' relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin. Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Did you see the Blue Angels over the weekend? Really gave me goosebumps. We've got a lot to get through, including now Governor Hogan facing a lawsuit over the reopening of the economy. Plus, Susan Lund, partner at McKinsey and & Company and a leader at the McKinsey Global Institute in Washington, D.C., tells us about the new McKinsey Job Insights Report. You've got to hear about this. And we, take, we talk foreign policy and domestic policy from the U.S.-China front with Lester Munson, a principal at government relations firm BGR Group, and Kristen Hahn, Democratic strategist, senior advisor at Iraq Solution. Lots to get through. On a finally a beautiful weather-wise day in Washington, D.C., as the Senate reconvenes. The Senate's back. Where's Speaker Pelosi? Where's the House? We'll dive into that as well. The Senate's back, folks. The Senate's back, but it's actually not a senator who's grabbing most of the attention. The Secretary of the Senate, I told you about this on Friday, the Secretary of the Senate responded to former Vice President Joe Biden's letter that was written uh, to to the Secretary of the Senate to try to get that document pertaining to Tara Reid. Well, the Secretary of the Senate says that uh, they have no, quote, no discretion to disclose, end quote, the information sought by former Vice President Joe Biden, reading the new report from Politico. So we're going to dive into that later on in the program. But the big story tonight remains President Trump's comments within the last 24 hours fresh from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's remarks on China. It appears to be growing tension between the U.S. and China. This, as President Trump says, that he is considering tariffs potentially on the economic front. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, a bevy of legislation, everything on the left and the right, there is some nonpartisan wiggle room as scrutiny over Xi Jinping and Beijing and the lack of transparency, according to the intelligence community, uh, that they exhibited on on uh, COVID-19. Uh, joining me on the line, my colleague, uh, one of the bosses in the Bloomberg Bureau, 
Alex Wayne. Alex Wayne is, of course, Bloomberg News White House lead editor. Alex, I understand you're quarantined with four kids, so I understand we might have an interruption, and that is Look, okay. It's all yep. the family here, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. I got them outside with snacks and, uh, and a water table, so uh, I, might have, I might have a little bit of time here. <laughs> all right. Well, but, well, hopefully we can get some, some fresh information from you. It, it does. Do you agree that over the past two weeks or so, the the, the president uh, has I don't want to say rhetoric wise, but that there there seems to be growing tension uh, from the U.S. perspective toward China. Oh yeah, he's dialing it up. I think I think he can absolutely say that the rhetoric is getting harsher from the Trump administration, and and uh, and they they are they are sort of making more mouth noises about uh, about pursuing some yeah here's one of them about pursuing some some sort of retaliation against China. Guys, hang on a minute. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Do we know? Do we know which avenue they might pursue? The president at the Fox News town hall indicated that tariffs might be something that's on the table. But you know, you talk about things as it relates to an untangling investments from uh, from from retirement savings accounts, uh, higher education. There's been a push from the likes of Senator Mark Warner, a Democrat from Virginia, Marco Rubio, Republican from Florida. What are some of the policy tools that lawmakers and the president are talking about? We don't know that they're seriously considering anything, to be to be honest. Uh, and and we have you know we have some some indications that they're that they're really that they're really not. They they don't have anything serious on the table right now. Trump did mention tariffs, but it was it was sort of in a kind of passing tangential way. He just sort of raised the idea and and then moved on. Uh, we don't think they're they're seriously considering new tariffs against China. They just signed a phase one trade deal. Trump wants to be able to take that that trade deal into his reelection campaign and, and brag about it. Um, even as, by the way, Joe Biden tries to beat him over the head with it, saying he was more focused on the trade deal than on the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, but, uh, you know, the problem here is anything that we do to China economically hurts us. We need cheap stuff from China right now. There are a lot of people out of work, uh, who are, are trying to put together a budget and, um, and the, the, the kind of things you can buy at Walmart are going to be really a lifesaver for those folks right now. Let me so ask one it, more question know, on the U.S.-China trade front before we pivot to the unemployment numbers. But as it relates to, uh, to, to trade in particular, I mean, from a policy standpoint, you made the policy argument. From a political standpoint, there's political risk in the sense that you saw this when the U.S. and China were negotiating back and forth on their trade agreements. Beijing fired right back at the heartland to try to get the president's attention. Is there a concern in an election year from the administration that Beijing would retaliate just from a, to, to get the president's attention politically? Yeah, they, they certainly would. That There's every expectation of that. Um, and so they, they can't risk that either. Um, and, and yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a minefield here trying to retaliate for China. Now there's, there's no question that there's bipartisan anger at China for this outbreak. Um, not only in the U S by the way, there's a lot of, you know, there's been some good reporting that, uh, other countries are pretty furious at China for, uh, for, you know, whatever happened over there that led to this outbreak, um, that then has grown to, to really consume the world. 
Um, but but I think there's going to be a struggle not only in the U.S. but but internationally to figure out what to do about it. I mean, and when you talk about things like 5G and the imprint that China tried to some extent successfully in the short term uh, to make in in the inroads with Europe and even in Latin America and South America from a 5G standpoint, I just think in the long term, based upon my reporting and based of all the incredible reporting that your team is doing, Alex, I think that this is a dramatic, dramatic moment uh, and a shift in geopolitical tension. The Senate reconvened today. I do want to ask you about something. President Trump at that same Fox News town hall where he was at the Lincoln Memorial, uh, the president saying that he's open to another round of economic stimulus provided the payroll tax cut be involved, uh, be, be included in it. Uh, what is the yeah. expectation that that happened? Yeah, you know, it's a weird thing that he's that he's kind of gotten stuck on this, this payroll tax cut. A payroll tax cut doesn't do anything for people who are unemployed. A payroll tax cut only helps people who've got jobs and are getting paychecks. Uh, and so Democrats are really totally against it. Uh, we, can't, we can't really detect much of an appetite among Republicans in Congress. Uh, and we're not sure who is really talking this up to the president. We don't think that Larry Kudlow or Stephen Mnuchin are, are, are real fond of this idea, but they've, you know, they've, they've played good soldier and they're now advocating for it. Um, but it's, it's, it's a little bit of a mystery why he's pushing so hard for this. I'll tell you what I think. Uh, the president has promised before the coronavirus outbreak that he would push for a middle-class tax cut before the election. And everybody kind of laughed at him because the president does this before every election. And you'll remember that in 2018, he pushed for a middle-class tax cut. It never happened. Um, but if he can actually get a payroll tax cut done uh, in, a, in a round of stimulus, he can plausibly go to voters in, in November and say, I got a middle-class tax cut passed. Exactly. All right. Very good. Did you and the kids get to see the, uh, the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds? We watched some video. We were out hiking when it passed over. Oh, awesome, awesome. Alex Wayne, thank you so much for taking a break from Dad Duty to, uh, to, to break all of that down for us. And, again, congratulations on all the incredible work that you and your team are doing. It's, it's, you guys are doing excellent work, and we're grateful for it. That's Alex Wayne, everybody. Alex, of course, is uh, the team leader for Bloomberg News White House. He's the lead editor. I apologize. The Bloomberg News White House lead editor, uh, breaking down uh, all of the latest headlines coming out of the White House. Coming up, much more job numbers, foreign policy, and escalating tensions between the U.S. and China. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Finally, finally, a spring day in Washington. Took us long enough. Took us all of April to get here. You following me? The Senate's back. We're going to dive into that coming up with uh, Leinster Munson over at BGR Group and... Uh, and, of course, uh, Kristen Hahn, who's the former comms director for the Blue Dog Coalition, and Lester uh, did all the policy for the Senate Foreign Relations Committee back when former chairman now, Corker, Bob Corker of Tennessee, chaired the committee. I still have goosebumps. I don't know about you. I still have goosebumps from the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds over the weekend. I was with a, a very, very close quarantine mate, as we call them now, quarantine mate, uh, in the backyard of a friend's house. And... Got to see it, and it really was. I, I texted this back home to my family in Delco. I said, "This is one of the mo This is how I'm going to remember the pandemic in Washington D.C. Is seeing that because it, it for whatever reason, I, I think, I hope 
that that will be the memory imprinted on collectively this community's memory because it really was uh, a show of support and and strong uh, uh, gratitude gratitude for all of the first responders and essential workers. Uh, very grateful, speaking of gratitude, to have uh, uh, Susan return to the program uh, to talk about Susan Lund, partner at McKinsey and Company and a leader at the McKinsey Global Institute in Washington, D.C. They have another report out, COVID-19 and jobs, monitoring the U.S. impact on people and places. Susan, thank you so much for coming back on the program. Did you get to see over the weekend the Blue Angels and Thunderbirds? I did not get to see them, unfortunately, oh. but I did hear them flying over my house. Well, that's good. You heard it. You heard it. You experienced I heard the it. Sound. <laughs> you know, as someone who's on radio, sometimes sound can go a lot further than television. Uh, let me ask you, what are the big takeaways from COVID-19 and jobs, this new report? Well, the news is not very good. We've been tracking what's been happening with uh, people filing for unemployment claims. And what you see is that in the last six weeks, we've had 30 million Americans apply for unemployment for the first time. 30 million. Um, that is, you know, that's about 20% of the U.S. workforce. Um, and at, But as we look at the number of jobs that are at risk, up to 57 million jobs are at risk of either layoff, temporary furlough, or reduced hours. So unfortunately, the numbers could actually grow higher in the weeks to come. So what I find interesting is one of the points that the report makes is that proportionately, the United States, you take a comparative approach uh, to, uh, to the European Union. When you, when you compare the United States to the European Union proportionately, how does, how does the U.S. compare? The U.S. has more jobs at risk as a share of the workforce. And I think that reflects the structure of the labor force in the U.S. versus Europe. So for one thing, in Europe, you have much larger public sectors which is basically government workers. They're not at risk uh, of, of being laid off. Um, and you've also got more unionized workers in all sorts of industries in Europe, which is, I think, one of the reasons that they have overall still a lot, but a somewhat lower portion um, of the labor force with jobs at risk. Susan Lund's on the line. She's a partner at McKinsey & Company and a leader at the McKinsey Global Institute in Washington, D.C. I was struck by the five states in which a quarter or more of the workforce has applied for unemployment. Hawaii, Kentucky, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island. Why, what are those, why those five states do you think, or do we know why those five states have a quarter or more of the workforce? Think of, I, I can't even comprehend that. One in four or more of the workforce has applied for unemployment. Yeah, it's really striking. I mean, there are different stories. So Hawaii is a story about tourism. Without air travel and tourists coming from the mainland U.S., but also from Asia, Hawaii has taken a big hit. Uh, in Michigan and Kentucky and Pennsylvania, it's more of a manufacturing story. So in Michigan, they saw the largest automotive assembly plants close down. Now, some have reopened to, manu you know, to work on ventilators, but still it's a massive workforce uh, that has been told to stay home for the moment. And, and job postings have declined, obviously, but there have been small increases in COVID-19-related occupations. What are some of the sectors that have seen some of those uh, increases? 
Well, it's very interesting as we start to think about what new jobs are going to come out of all of this. Now, a large number of them, not surprisingly, are in healthcare. So a lot of the job postings were for respiratory therapists that's working in acute care and nurses and doctors. Um, more interesting was translators in hospitals to basically wow. communicate with the COVID patients. I think going forward, we're going to see a lot more delivery people. I'm sure you've been ordering your groceries online, maybe meals online, et cetera, and the shift towards more um, packages being delivered to our houses, I think will increase. So we talked about this the last time you were on the program. It bears repeating. It should color every single conversation economically on Wall Street, on Main Street, big business, small business. But low-wage, part-time, and minority workers are the most likely folks to hold vulnerable jobs. This according to, once again, this new report out from McKinsey. Low-wage, part-time, and minority workers are the most likely to hold the most vulnerable jobs. And I, I, I was... The reason I really appreciate this report and I'm grateful to have you come back on is because it notes in the report that this is an opportunity as we climb our way out of this and rebuild to rebuild better, stronger, and for the longer term. Talk about that for me. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business, demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. True. So unfortunately, the people who are least able to withstand a period of not earning money are the ones most likely to be unemployed from all of this. Yes, there are some white collar jobs, maybe even up to a quarter of, of workers who are at risk uh, are in the higher income levels. But as you said, three quarters are earn, um, you know, less money. So these are jobs we've known for the last 10 years that Unemployment grew to very high levels, but the quality of jobs in many cases was lacking. Part-time work, minimum wage, few benefits, et cetera. Um, now, as we, as we move forward and rethink the workforce, I hope uh, that we'll see some of the policies that we've seen enacted in the CARES Act actually extended. So for the first time ever, self-employed people uh, can apply for unemployment benefits. Um, we've also seen an, an expansion of benefits. So as we move towards whatever the next normal is going to look like, it is an opportunity for states and also the federal um, legislatures yeah. to think about how to give more benefits to more people. Susan Lund, come back on when you have the next report. Appreciate your time, my friend, partner at McKinsey & Company. I'm Kevin Cirilli. More next. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. 
I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Christine Barada and Matt Shirley have me laughing in the Nexi group chat that runs our show. Charlie Vollmer's on the board up in New York City, Bloomberg World Headquarters. Thank you, Charlie, for helping out today. Appreciate it as always. Very thrilled that we have two of my favorites on the line to help us navigate through what uh, is a dizzying day in Washington, D.C., uh, headlines. Lester Munson returns, principal at government relations firm BGR Group. He, of course, was previously working for Senate Foreign Relations Committee Chairman Bob Corker, Republican from Tennessee. I don't know why I said it like that. Bob Corker, Bob Corker, Senator Bob Corker, former senator. And Kristen Hahn, Democratic strategist, senior advisor at Rock Solutions and former Blue Dog Coalition Communications Director. Kristen Lester, thrilled to have you. Kristen, did you see the Thunderbirds and Blue Angels? Oh, gosh, I did. I Actually, I live on Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C., so they, they went pretty much directly over my amazing. house. It was, it was pretty amazing. Lester, what about you? Uh, I miss them. I'm too far south, I guess, but uh, they look good on social media, I must say. <laughs> you know, Instagram didn't do it justice, okay? That's all I'm going to say, Lester. Instagram did not, or TikTok, the kids these days, they got this thing called TikTok, owned by the Chinese, that uh, th th it doesn't do it justice. Kristen, what's going on with these Tara Reid allegations? Uh, the Senate uh, is saying, the Senate Secretary says that they're not going to release the documents uh, from 1993 relating to Tara Reid's alleged complaint. And Biden had asked for it to be released, but now the Senate is saying that the archives don't possess the record. I mean, I don't know. Th this is just going to continue unless they get the documents out there. Yeah, and I think Biden was right, um, did the right thing, uh, first of all, in responding to the allegations, saying that, you know, every woman has the right to be heard. And then um, those allegations uh, in every instance need to be fully investigated and calling for the Senate to release those records. So um, I, I agree with you. I think this will continue to go on until until, um, you know, those records are released. Um, I think that, you know, the archives are the right place to go, as Biden's mentioned, um, rather than um, University of Delaware. Uh, to, but there's so much confusion surrounding this, and some of her comments, um, you know, have been added to that confusion this morning. So I agree with you. This, this will continue to be kind of a cloud, I think, that, um, you know, hangs over the campaign. But, but I do think that the, the vice president... Um, has done a good job in, in addressing those allegations head on and being very forthright with the American so people. So I just want to bring folks up to speed because this is the latest development in the Tara Reid story. On Friday, as we talked about on this program, former Vice President Joe Biden wrote to the Secretary of the Senate, uh, Julie Adams, and he asked Secretary of the Senate, Julie Adams, quote, you take or direct whatever steps are necessary to establish the location of the records of this office and once they have been located to direct a search for the alleged complaint and to make public the results of the search. Then, earlier today, uh, Julie Adams uh, put out uh, or, or, or uh, put out a, uh, a statement or a letter, a letter responding to Biden and said that there is, quote, no discretion to disclose, end quote, the existence of former aide Tara Reid's complaint of sexual assault against the then-senator in 1993, reading from Alexander Bolton's reporting on the, in the Hill newspaper at thehill.com. Um, 
So, I mean, look, that's where things stand. I, I, I think you're right, Kristen, but from, from your conversations with, with your fellow Democrats and Democratic circles, is the party behind Biden on this issue? I think so. And I think you've seen a number of, um, you know, female senators and other leading uh, figures in the Democratic Party um, that, you know, have have reiterated their support for the vice president. So I think that, um, you know, I I would hope that these records would be released. Um, I don't think that the vice president has anything uh, to hide. And, you know, for all the conversations that I'm having, people seem to be fully behind Biden. All right. Moving on. Moving on, the uh, Biden world, by the way, from a policy standpoint, releasing an economic plan for African-Americans earlier today uh, as well. I want to come back to something that we discussed earlier on the program, Lester Munson, uh, principal at BGR Group, and that is this escalating tension that the United States has with China. Uh, How do you look at and evaluate uh, the tension, not just coming from the White House, but also from both parties in Washington or both parties on Capitol Hill? Well, you know, it's interesting, Kevin. Uh, There's been bipartisan concern, I think that's the right word, about China for several years now. And I think it's just been that concern has been kind of bubbling below the surface. Uh, President Trump has been out there imposing tariffs on China, which I think confused a lot of people on the Hill. They didn't know how to react to that. Republicans are not natural supporters of tariffs and Democrats arguably are. And I think they were Democrats were a little shocked that they kind of agreed with the president. Republicans were a little concerned about what he's doing. But there's been this low level um, uh, below the surface concern about China for quite some time. The the COVID-19 crisis has brought that to the surface and even higher. And so now you're seeing people from uh, Tom Cotton to Nancy Pelosi voicing their concerns about China's actions since the, the virus first uh, emerged in November or December. Kristen, what are, what are, what are you hearing? As it re- uh, same question to you, Kristen, uh, especially though keeping it on Democrats for a second. Democrats yeah. are concerned. I think, I think so much is, is, coming, is focused, rightfully so, on what the president's doing from the executive branch perspective. But Democrats are just as concerned about China, folks, as Republicans are, Kristen, right? Or am I wrong? No, I think you're right. And I think um, we all have shared concerns about, you know, their, you know, meddling in Congress or the election, um, you know, not just like Russia has, but China, you know, does that as well. Uh, and then also, I know that, you know, a lot of with a lot of the moderate Democrats, um, there's always been an underlying concern about uh, how much of their uh, debt that they own, um, you know, and their ability to to wage economic warfare with the United States. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that there's concern uh, across the board. And as, you know, we're dealing in this COVID-19 world and, you know, the debt escalating and, um, you know, just them being good actors in general, I think that that's a shared concern now with, you know, among both parties, for sure. So, Lester, what's the first step? Is it a legislative vehicle? Is it is it a bipartisan bill? I mean, we're focusing a lot on the economy, but for China, I mean, is it, it how how does in the short term, is there is there something that's a not I don't want to say a quick fix, but is there a short term messaging bill even? What, what word are you? You you served on the Foreign Relations Committee. You know it better than anyone. What is the first step? Well, I think, first of all, I think the president is, you know, he's asked for his staff to look into the matter and come back to him with recommendations. That is almost for sure going to result in new sanctions on China once we get past the period 
where we are no longer relying on them for um, supply chain materials related to coronavirus. And response. I want to press words, you on this to interrupt the- you because sanctions on China is so broad. Is it sanctions on on, on specifically on on economic sectors, on individuals, or or, or, or how? Uh, what, what do you think? I think we're looking at tariffs across the board on Chinese products. Uh, he's uh, the president's likely going to need more assistance for uh, U.S. farmers, but I I think. Uh, Trump is going to look to make uh, antagonism with China the feature of his presidential campaign. I think Republicans on the Hill are going to echo that. And I think it's going to put Democrats in a tough spot because they they want to agree with him on a lot of the criticism he has of China, but they're not they're not going to be able to just endorse what he's doing. Biden in particular might be a little bit vulnerable on this. He's always been a pro engagement with China guy. He's got to walk that back a little bit. Now, it's a tough spot for him, I think. So so Trump is going to push this to his advantage and look for guys like Senator Risch, uh, Congressman McCall on the Hill to echo that and make that a little bit easier for him. You know, I, I think that's a great point. Uh, Kristen, coming up, I want to ask you, though, about how Biden is going to take this head on. I, based on conversations that I've had with Democrats, uh, they're looking at trying to, to make uh, footing in the in the world, especially with Europe, to bring Europe back in agreement with the United States, uh, which they argue Trump has not done. President Trump has not been able to do. So I think that you're going to hear a lot more about the European angle uh, and getting Europe to, to be back on the same page as the United States. Kristen, I'm going to ask you about all that. Stick around. Lester, Kristen, I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.